to Romans chapter number 12. And as you're turning there, uh, Brother Jeremy was advocating last week that, uh, that uh, you turn in difficult, difficult, hard, hard Bible questions for Wednesday night. And I, I thought, well, you know, uh, if I get the ones that I can't answer, then uh, Brother Jeremy will take them in his class, and I'll give them to him, and he'll be answering them on Sunday mornings in his class, all right? So, uh, so go ahead, give me the hard ones, and that's fine, and I will pass them right along to him in his class, and he can, he can handle them there. So, um, all right, uh, Romans chapter number 12, boy, I appreciate, uh, appreciate Brenton leading singing as well and uh, singing about this. It kind of goes along with the message too. I, I thought, boy, that, that poor fellow, he's leading singing. He's got Jeremy blasting him over here and he's got me blasting him over here. And, and, uh, and boy, uh, it's enough just trying to stick on, on track with the music that's pre-recorded. Uh, and, then, and then I'm coming in at the wrong time. And uh, sometimes Brother Jeremy comes in at the wrong time or we hold it too long. And, and so, uh, boy, Brother uh, Brenton's got his hands full just trying to lead the congregational singing, but I appreciate him doing that. So, uh, Romans chapter number 12. Last week we looked at the first three verses and we looked at beseeching. And if you see there, right in the very beginning, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. And he makes a plea uh, to the Christians that they would present themselves, that they would say, hey, here am I, as the military would say, hey, we accept volunteers and sign on the dotted line. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, we want you to step up. We want you to volunteer. We want you to offer your your body as a living sacrifice. But it's not just the Apostle Paul that is pleading that, but God uh, that is pleading that. And he's saying, hey, listen, uh, that, that I want you to be in my service. And, uh, and then he goes on after we, we see the, the beseeching there to present ourselves. In verse number four, we'll take our text. The Bible says, for as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy, excuse me, he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together around your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would bless and encourage each and every person that's here tonight and those who are listening. And God, I pray that you would just, uh, that you would help us to understand uh, the importance of the body and, uh, and our place in that body. Father, we'll thank you for that. And God, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
as I look at this passage, I, uh, uh, you know, as we moved into Romans chapter 12 too, let me say this, that, that there is a, there's a real shift in emphasis. He went from very doctrinal, deep arguments to salvation for uh, much of the book of Romans. And then he hits chapter 12 and he goes to the practical side of it. And he's saying, what he's saying is, this is what you ought to believe in all those preceding chapters. And in verse 12, or chapter 12 and forward, He's saying this is how it's going to affect your life practically, on a practical level. And so he's giving us some very practical things in, in beseeching us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that we would serve God. But then he says, hey, that there is a, that, that in verse 4, for, we for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. And he goes for uh, verses 4 and 5, and he's talking about the body. And, uh, and he gives the unity of the body. So we're going to look at that for a little bit, and then we'll go into the second part of it. But the unity of the body. And, uh, and it's got many parts. You know, if you look at, uh, of course, the human body is, is part of the idea as well, that, uh, that we have fingers, and we have a hand, and we have arms, and we have all these parts that make up our body. And, uh, and believe it or not, all of them that are up here, on the, right here, they all belong to me. They're mine. If you pinch it, ow, it hurts. If you pinch my ear, it hurts. If you step on my toe, it hurts. It's part of me. And as we think about a body being many members, uh, of course that there is a, he says it there, there are many members. And there's a, an idea of belonging or membership to a body. And, uh, and as we think about that, especially in the confines of a local New Testament church, uh, you should be a member of the local New Testament church. And there's, uh, there's a couple of prerequisites to be a member of the New Testament local church. One, you must be born again. You must be saved. And, uh, and of course, we know, uh, looking around, I'm looking, and I, we're pretty much home folk. Everyone here that's here would know that's putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the first step. And the second thing is scriptural baptism, uh, that you must be baptized. And we see that in the book of Acts, that they were, right in the beginning of the book of Acts, they were saved, uh, and then they were baptized, and then they were added unto them, unto the local body of believers there in that time. And so that is the prerequisites to be a member. And as he's talking about the body here, uh, I'm taking it in, in the idea uh, that, that, hey, it's a local New Testament church. Uh, that is the idea that we're going with. I mean, one body must be collected uh, in, in one area. Many times uh, you hear, if you spend any time with Christians in general, um, not necessarily members of our church, but just Christians in general, you run into them. Uh, it's not uncommon for people to say phrases like, well, we're building the kingdom, or, well, we are all part of the body of Christ. Um, and, and those are phrases that are out there. And, and while those things are, are out there, um, there is a lot given in the Bible about the local New Testament church because it is gathered together. It is assembled. My body is all in one place tonight. It's all right here in front of you. Uh, I, except for that finger I lost last May. I'm just kidding. 
I didn't lose a finger. Uh, it's all right here. And, and I didn't leave part of my body at home when I came to church tonight. I, I didn't leave part of my body uh, in Peru when I lived there or, or in Italy when I lived there. My body is all right here. It is all in one place. And so there's strong argument and strong idea that, hey, the local church, there needs to be a local church. And the Bible goes over that time and time again. And I just want to say this because I believe it's so important as he's talking about we have many members in one body and uh, and and God purchased the church with his blood the Bible says in Acts chapter number 20 and verse 28 uh, the latter part of I'll just read you the whole verse it says take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, it's not my responsibility, this is written really to pastors, it's not my responsibility to feed this church and then go feed another church and then go feed another church. That's not even possible. So the concept and the idea, even with Peter, that God said, hey, feed my sheep, that you would give the food to the local body, the local flock, the local assembly of the New Testament church. And it's important to understand that, that they are gathered together for uh, the idea of, of being together. And so Jesus, or God, it says in this verse, uh, purchased the church with his own blood. Many people, uh, many, many people, not in our church, but many people, they don't believe in a local church. Matter of fact, uh, they'll tell you, I don't belong to any church. Listen, it, it, there's something uh, bothersome to me when somebody is saved and truly saved and does not join a local church. Because God shed his blood for the local church. He purchased the local church. The Bible in the New Testament, he, he talks about the local church a lot. I wrote it down here. I'm looking for my notes. I don't remember where I put it. But nonetheless, uh, I don't want to cover it if I'm going to cover it later. I'm going to cover it here right now. It doesn't matter. Um, we find that uh, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, you go back and you read it, and it talks about the relationship between a, a man and a woman. And it talks about how uh, the, the husband is to love his wife and, and how they are to be one flesh. And it goes on, and at the end of that portion, he says, I speak concerning a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so God has a great love and a great compassion and a great desire for the local New Testament church that he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for the church. He equates it to his bride in, in the book of Ephesians. And I'm just saying that if you're going to be a good, solid Christian, that you need to be involved in a local New Testament church. Something interesting I heard so many years ago and, and that's this, God never commanded us to build his kingdom. Think about that. He talks about the kingdom. Oh yeah, the kingdom of God. It's talked about in the Bible. It's a biblical concept. We're not, we're, we are never commanded to build the, the kingdom of God. 
But we are commanded to attend the local church. We are commanded to give to the local church. We are commanded to serve in a local church. You go on and on and on about the New Testament church that is given in the New Testament. And I'm just saying that God thinks very highly of the, of the church. And, and it's something that is important in God's eyes. I found it in my notes. I knew it was there. And so the church is important. And you should be, and you are, uh, a part of the local New Testament uh, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing uh, New Testament church. And by the way, in a side note, we make no apologies for being Baptist. Uh, we're proud of our heritage. Uh, so many churches, I've gone round and round with people, and I've spent a great deal of time just contemplating this. And you say, well, what's, uh, what is Baptist? And, and, well, John was a Baptist, all right? And, and I always heard it said this way, and that's good enough for me, amen? Um, John the Baptist. But, uh, but outside of that, really the name Baptist is really not in the Bible, but, but Baptist has a good heritage attached to it. And, uh, and so many people are like, well, you know, the Baptist church doesn't have a good name in my town or this or that. And, and listen, I'll give you this analogy and then we'll move on in our, our context. But, uh, but if, if, I, uh, if I have a, a brother... And, and my brother has the same last name. And I do have a brother, but this is not the case, okay? But, uh, but if my brother uh, was, was a rascal, and he lived in the same town as me, and everybody knew, ah, that rice, boy, he's a rascal. I mean, he's done this and that, and he's not a good businessman, and he'll rip you off, and, and this. I mean, if he had a bad name, you know what? I'm not going to go down and change my name because my brother destroyed my last name. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell him, well, that was my brother. I'm a different person, and I'm going to try extra hard to work and make my name reputable, not irreputable, uh, by something that somebody else did. And so I'm not ready to erase Baptists off of our church. Why? Because Baptist has a great heritage. On top of that, Baptist means something. It stands for what we believe. I mean, when I'm driving, I, my wife and I, we drive down the road all the time and we'll see churches and, and I'm like, and sometimes they're not even called church. They're just river tree. I'm like, river tree, I wonder what that is. I mean, do they plant trees and make rivers run? I, I don't know what it is, to be honest with you. The name does not indicate anything. And a name says something. And so uh, I'm just saying that I am unapologetically Baptist and, and I appreciate the name. I'll tell you this quick story uh, and then, then we'll continue on with our message. But I remember um, way back many years ago, a good friend of mine. And, and he didn't go to a Baptist church. And by the way, not all, bap, not all churches that are not Baptist are, are doctrinally incorrect. I just need to state, state that. Okay? Um, unfortunately, you have to look over every one of them because there's no good way of defining what is what. And not even all Baptist churches are good either. So I'll just say that there. We're just kind of across the board. Nonetheless, he, he didn't go to a Baptist church. And, uh, and, and a little bit down the road, they actually changed the name of their church and they put Baptist on the sign. And these were just a few of the observations that he told me. He said, before we had Baptist on the sign, he said, people were coming into our church all the time 
time that were Pentecostal and they were trying to change the doctrine and the belief system of our church. And they didn't know what we believed and we didn't know what they believed. They just showed up and said they were Christian and we're Christian and so we're all good and everything's fine until we find out, oh, they want us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and start healing people. And they said, oh, we don't do that. And then there was a big division and there was always problems and they were constantly having to, to fight against that grain of others coming in. He said, once we put Baptist on our sign, we no longer had that problem. And so sometimes just your name and just your definition of who you are does help kind of clarify to those who are coming in. Uh, sometimes uh, it will help them understand who we are. And there's a lot behind Baptist, but uh, I'm just saying, I don't even know how I got that far down the rabbit trail. But uh, I'm just saying that the local New Testament church is important to God. And he says, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Let me just stop as well about this members business, because I need to say this, that, uh, that not, um, if you look at, if you, I'm a great example, okay, because I am, I am not a perfect person. I mean, you look at me, and I'm obviously I'm not a model. I look at my hands, and nope, they're not perfect. And, and, and you say, well, I'm not perfect. You know what? None of us are perfect. And, and, and because of that, listen, it, you, maybe, you're, maybe you're a hand in our church, and, and your hand is not perfect. Maybe you're a foot in our church, and our foot is not perfect. Maybe you're, you're another, maybe you perform some other function. My point of the matter is, we are not a perfect church. A, a perfect church does not exist. I am not a perfect pastor. We don't have perfect people. We are striving to do what is right. We are striving to live right. We are striving to serve the Lord. But nonetheless, we are imperfect. And by the way, there does, a, a perfect church does not exist in this world because we're all compromised. We're, it's, they're all made up of, of imperfect people. So I just want to throw that out there as we uh, think about the body uh, and the body of the local New Testament church. Not only that, but members are dependent upon one another. You think about this. I, was, I got to thinking about this today as I was re reading over some of this. And, and I thought, what was the local New Testament church when it was started? And I, I believe that Jesus started the church. You know what it was? They would get together. This is going to blow you away. They would sing songs and they would preach the word. That's what we do today. I started thinking about that. For 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years, uh, that, that Jesus started the church, you know what? We are still doing the same thing. Now, praise the Lord, they didn't have heated buildings. Uh, they didn't have padded pews and carpet and air conditioning and sound systems and all of that. But, but nonetheless, we are doing in practice the same thing that they did when Jesus Christ started the church. And as you think about that, we are dependent one upon another. Um, and we need each other. 
to be able to be a functioning church. Uh, Sunday school teachers this morning, uh, they, they came to church prepared. Junior church teachers came prepared to teach a lesson to the kids. And, uh, and you probably sent your kids off to class. And the van route, which went out and ran and picked up kids, and you probably didn't go out uh, on the van, and you probably didn't teach the Sunday school kids. Uh, maybe some of you did. But what I'm saying is you brought kids in, or you went out in the van, and you brought kids in, and you sent them to Sunday school expecting that the teacher would be back there to teach those kids. We're dependent upon one another. When I come in on, on Sunday nights or any time of the service, uh, I don't go and, and ask Brett, now you got all the songs already and you got the list all set and you got them all put on the USB stick. And, and, and No, he, he does all of that and he organizes it. And I'm dependent on him to be able to have all of those things set up so that I can come in and I can preach the word. He can lead the music. Uh, and, and we have people in the sound booth and, and they go back there and you know what? They, they control the levels. They make sure the mics are on. They check the batteries. They make sure that everything's running well. They make sure the music specials are set. We have other people who uh, clean the church and you could go on and on and on. The people who watch the live stream or call in and listen, they're dependent on the people back there to push all the right buttons to make sure that it all goes out. And I'm just saying that we are dependent one upon another. Not one person could make all of those things work. It's just not possible. Uh, and so as a body, uh, we are dependent one upon another. Just like our human body, uh, my, my hand is dependent on the nutrients that my mouth chews up and swallows to get down into my stomach so that it can digest it and send it. And it's dependent on the heart to pump all those fluids all through my body to get the nutrients to every place where it's supposed to go. It doesn't just, uh, it's dependent one upon the other. And a local New Testament church is the same, that we are dependent upon, uh, upon other people. And there's many moving parts to that. Uh, it's, it's a complex thing, and, and yet this is the illustration that he gives us. He says, for as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office. In other words, they've all, they all have different functions. They all have different purposes. They all have different uh, abilities. And he's going to get into that. But at the same time, he goes on in verse 5, and he says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Yes, we are unique. Yes, we are individual. Yes, we are all uh, many different people and we have many different uh, abilities. But at the same time, he's saying, you know how many times he used the word one there is uh, over and over. He said one body and many members and, 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 and all of that. He said we've got one purpose. And so we're unified in the things that we are trying to accomplish at our church. And what is the purpose of the church, the local New Testament church? Well, I, I wrote down, and I know I've covered this before, but we'll just throw it out there again. Uh, the first and foremost purpose, I believe, is to evangelize the lost. We ought to always have that on the forefront of our minds. Because it's so easy. Uh, one of the things, one of the sayings you, you hear sometimes is, is uh, we need to, the, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
Now, how many times does that main thing get sidelined? And pretty soon we're, we're meeting and we're uniting, but we've forgotten our vision. We've lost track of what our main thing is to be. And one of our main things is to evangelize the lost. That's what Jesus said. Uh, we call it the Great Commission. And he had the disciples all gathered there. And he said in uh, Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He repeated it in Matthew and he repeated it in the, in, the, in the book of Acts. And so it's something serious that he said, hey, this needs done. Our responsibility is to reach the lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just that, but that is one of the things. The second thing would be to, I put down, uh, they all start with E, so it makes it easy. All right, evangelize the lost, educate the saved. Uh, he goes in Matthew and he says, uh, he says um, teaching them uh, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In other words, go through the word of God and teach and teach and teach and teach and give them the word of God. What did he tell Peter in John chapter uh, 21? He said, feed my sheep. He said it again in Acts chapter 20 that we read that verse earlier. Uh, he said, feed my sheep that you may feed the flock of God. And so we have a great responsibility to educate the saved. We have an, I believe this uh, would kind of fall under educate the saved as well. And I put it in here and that's to encourage one another. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.24, we love, as preachers, we always love 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. But in verse 24, it says this, I love these words. It says, provoke unto love and to good works. I, I don't, maybe I'm a provoker, I don't know. But I, man, there's, you know, you know what that word provoke means? It means agon. It means to encourage. It means to stir up, to, to, to push somebody. I, um, when my kids were younger, I, I used to love, we were, we were grossly outnumbered, Mike and I, so it was just two boys and a whole boatload of girls. And, and, uh, and so my favorite thing to do uh, would, would just to, 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 to ignite the whole place is just drop the little bomb that boys rule and girls drool. Man, that just, it was explosive. You know what it did? It provoked an argument. It provoked a, a response. And it, and it provoked a discussion about this and that. And, and it was a provoking statement. Listen, the Bible says that we are to provoke unto love and good works. You know what that means? Hey, brother, we'll, we'll, see, you, we'll see you tonight. Hey, brother, we'll see you you know, Wednesday. Hey, provoking and encouraging one another to do right, to live right, to witness, to be in church, to be in the Word of God, to be in prayer. Uh, that's provoking one another unto good works. And, and not just that, uh, encouraging one another. Pray, pray one for another. Uh, love one another. The Bible goes on and on about how the body, uh, the body of believers is to encourage one another. So we're to evangelize the lost, educate the saved, encourage one another. And then lastly, and this is probably one of the, uh, the primaries, but we are to exalt the Savior. That's so important. The church is not you or me or any one person is not the church. Our job and our responsibility is to lift up and exalt Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Point people to Him. 
God's so good to us. And God does this and God blesses us and exalt, lift up the name of Jesus in everything that we do. We find the purpose. That's the purpose of, of this body. That is the purpose of what we want to do. And, and we all ought to be striving towards that. Everything that we do is working towards that. You say, Brother Sweet, running the sweeper on Wednesday night, how is, that, uh, how is that helping that goal? You know what? When lost people come in our building, they're not distracted thinking, man, this place is a dump. I've been in several places lately. I don't even remember where. And I've had to go into the bathroom and I'm like, now I lived in Peru, okay? So I, I've seen a different standard, if I could say it that way. I'm like, but I'm not in Peru. This place is a dump. I'm like, I can't believe that. Somebody told me years ago, they said, they said uh, if you want to know about a restaurant, uh, they said the first thing you should do, go visit their bathrooms. If their bathrooms are clean, you can probably eat there because they take care of the place. If their bathrooms aren't clean, well, taking your own chances, I guess. But it's true, people walk in and they look and they say, man, this, our building, they don't say our building's a dump, they say our building it looks nice. And that's, that's, a, that's a testament to the people that take the time to clean it, that, that, that take care of everything and, and make sure that it looks nice so that when people do walk in, they are not distracted by, uh, by, by things that are out of place or things that are dirty or things that are filthy. Uh, they, they see it and, and they're, uh, they're impressed with it. And, and, and teaching Sunday school, that is part of, boy, it's part of evangelizing. It's part of educating uh, the kids that come in, especially those on the van route, we, we've, uh, our society outside of our four walls has changed drastically before our very eyes. And many of us, myself included, are so far removed from society that when, when these kids come in, we, we don't even, we're like, whoa. I mean, it's not, they shouldn't even be saying that. I shouldn't even be hearing that. <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I don't know if it's worse that they said it or that I heard it. I don't know what's worse. I mean, both things are bad. And, and, and some of the things, hey, what we have to educate. We have to teach them the Word of God. And it is a slow-moving process. One of the things I learned in Peru by starting a church of, of people who knew nothing about the Word of God is it is a slow line upon line, precept upon precept. You teach and you teach and you teach. And, and, the, and, and the progress is not measured by leaps and bounds it's measured by a step here and a step there that people change that's our purpose that we go through this and so we see the one body unified though we're many members though we come from many places we are unified to the purpose but I want you to notice as well in verse number six we're going to go super fast here and the diversity of gifts. I only have two points. And the first one was the unity of the body, and the second one is the diversity of gifts. The problem is I have like six subpoints of that. Verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophet, whether prophecy, 
prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. We have a diversity of gifts. Listen, we all have different talents. We all have different abilities. And, uh, and I'm just going to go through this list and just kind of give it to you. And I'm going to uh, give you each and every word. And we're just going to walk through this list. And I'll, I'll be brief on this. But, and I don't believe that this list is a comprehensive list. I don't think Paul intended it for it to be a, a comprehensive list. But it is a list that will help us understand. And some of these are differing gifts. The first one he gives out is prophecy. I always like to define prophecy as, as thus saith the Lord proclaiming the word of the Lord. Many times in the Old Testament, prophecy was uh, foretelling, hey, judgment is coming and you better straighten up. I mean, Jonah was a prophet. He went to Nineveh and he said, hey, uh, if you don't straighten up, God's going to destroy this city. It was a foretelling of some event that was to come. But nonetheless, uh, we find in the New Testament too that there is, there is prophesying uh, in that, hey, we have the book of Revelation. All those things have not occurred yet. Um, and I will say this, that God's not giving us new prophecy, okay? He's given us everything that we need written down right here in the Word of God, and everything that He wants us to know is recorded in His Word. So we're not, we don't have new revelation. We don't have, uh, the, sometimes they call it extra revelation. He's given us everything we need to know right here in the Word of God. And some of it is future coming events, like the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know He is coming. We don't know when. But it is future. It is something that's going to happen. We know the, the uh, seven years of, of uh, tribulation. We know that uh, after that, that there's a, uh, or rather sometime in there as well, there's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so we know that these events are, are futuristic events that are going to take place. And then eventually the whole world's going to be burned up and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So we know all of these things are coming, but it's prophetic, it's future. It has not happened yet. And so uh, prophesy to give out the word of God and to proclaim the word of God, thus saith the, the word of the Lord. He says in verse number seven, he says ministry. What is ministry? I looked that up. I, I thought, I want to know what that is. And, and it's to aid or to help. And, and some are really good at helping others. We won't go there for the sake of time. But in Acts chapter 3, they were busy taking care of uh, uh, some of the widows. And, and one of the complaints was, hey, the, uh, some of these people are being neglected and they're not being taken care of. And so the, uh, the, the apostles got together and they said, hey, why don't we call out uh, men of God that are faithful who can minister to these people and they'll be called deacons and so they found men that were full of the Holy Ghost and walked with God and and their job was to be a part of that ministry and to help take care of people and aid in other things one a good example that came to mind as I was thinking about ministry obviously is shoveling a driveway Boy, because all the snow that fell, you know, there's people that can't get out and shovel a driveway and and so uh, helping in that regard that's ministry Teaching, in verse number 7, uh, he says, or he that teacheth on teaching, and teaches to instruct or inform. Not everyone is a teacher. Some people love to instruct and, and, and help other people understand. My wife uh, gets upset with me because I, uh, I explain everything. And she says, you don't have to explain. I said, I can't help it. I'm a splainer. That's what I do. I, I, I have to explain everything. I just, I, 
even, even simple things. And sometimes I think it helps me understand. But that's a, a concept. Hey, that's part of our ministry in the church. And, and I'm glad, uh, you know, some people teach better. You don't teach children the way you teach adults. You don't teach, you teach them all according to their level. And, and, uh, and I'm not as good at teaching children. I've done it in the past, but uh, I'd say there's, there's more apt people out there than me. But, uh, but teaching, that is a gift, that is a diversity of gift that some people have. Verse number 8, he goes on and he says, exhorting. Um, and exhort means to incite by words or advice, to animate or urge by arguments to a good deed or to any laudable conduct or course of action. This often goes with preaching. The Bible says in, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, uh, Paul admonishes Timothy and he says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. That would be to stir up people to good works and, and maybe even to caution them. Hey, that's not a good road. It doesn't have to be always with teaching. Uh, some people are real good about just personal exhortation and going up to somebody that they can see are headed down a wrong path and putting their arm around them and say, listen, the, the, the end of this road is not a good way to go. You need to be careful. You need to watch out in your life, personal exhortation, public exhortation and preaching. And so we find that uh, that, that is a ministry and that is uh, some people are, are gifted at it. Some people are good at doing those things. We find in verse number eight, he says, giveth as well. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. I just want to state this, that uh, give means to bestow without receiving a return. Some people are more natural givers. And I want to just say this, I don't believe that this is in reference to the tithe. I believe that the tithe is certainly uh, what God would uh, start, that everyone ought to be a giver in that regard as to, uh, to the tithe. Uh, and that would be 10% uh, of what comes in. And it's easy to uh, learn. It's a good starting point of where you ought to start. But after that, listen, some people are just natural. I mean, man, they'll give you, they'll, you walk up and you say, man, I, I like that. And they say, well, here you go. You can have it. And they'll give it to you. They're just natural givers. And some people are really good at giving. And, and so uh, he's saying, hey, those that give, let them do it with simplicity. I thought of the church in Macedonia. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we won't turn there again for sake of time, but they, uh, they had a great trial of aff affliction, but yet they gave, this is the word us Baptists don't like, liberally. Oh, liberal. But he was giving liberally. We like that, amen. That's a good side of it. And they had given a tremendous amount. They were great givers. And he was telling the church at Corinth, listen, I... Man, I want you to learn from them how they gave and they were, uh, they were open to giving. And so uh, some are, 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 are gifted in that area of being able to give. And, uh, and again, that's certainly a, a, a ministry and something that's well. And so many of our people give and so many of our people do these things. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just telling you this is the list of the things that's given. Look at verse number eight. He says there at the, towards the end, he says, and that ruleth. Ruleth would be to govern or oversee. Some people are gifted in overseeing projects and make sure that they get done. 
some people are good at some of that stuff. And so uh, taking uh, oversight of projects and, and ruling and governing and making sure that those things go well. And then lastly in verse number 8 he says, uh, that showeth mercy, merciful. I put down here the, the dictionary definition of that is that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. And some people are more uh, merciful than other people. And some people see more uh, good in other people than others. And I'm just saying, hey, we have a diversity of gifts. Find your gift and find your ability, find your talent, find where you can get plugged in and use it for the Lord. That's part of uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says uh, to present our bodies. That would mean find that diversity of gift and use it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we all have abilities, we all have talents, we all have something that we can use for the Lord. And we ought to do the best that we can for the Lord. He's going to go through a whole bunch more of practical things, but, uh, but we'll stop right there for tonight as we uh, think about the body of Christ and how important it is uh, that it, we ought to be unified uh, towards that one goal. And, uh, and yet we have diversity of gifts. Not everyone can, uh, can do the same thing. Uh, some people are great with babies. Some people are good with kids. Some people are good with the van. Some people are good with technical skill in the sound booth and, and musical skill and, and other things. We all have different abilities and we ought to find our ability and use it for the honor and glory of God. Do the best we can uh, as we work towards that same purpose and that same goal of evangelizing the lost, educating the saved, uh, encouraging one another, and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ to the best of our ability. That's our purpose, and that's what we look forward to doing. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And God, what a great truth of the local church. God, I thank you, I truly thank you that we're not all the same. How imbalanced we would be if everyone did the same thing and everyone had the same gift. So God, I do thank you for the diversity of gifts that we have. I thank you for the purpose of the local church and the fact that we are many members, but we're one body one in unity, one in Christ, because you've changed our life and you've caused us to be more like you. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we strive to serve you as a local body of believers. God, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God spoke to your heart, the altar is open.